Our Old Testament lesson is going to come to us from Genesis uh, chapter 17. Um, I have this very colorful, marked up version of Genesis 17. Um, There's only uh, one textual change that I want to uh, note in verse 4. The ESV uh, does, I think, um, uh, omits... A, a clear marker that's a part of the structure here. These, these four paragraphs run kind of like this. God says, for my part, in verse 4. And then in verse 9, as for you, Abraham. And then in verse 15, as for Sarah, your wife. So it's as for me, as for you, as for Sarah. And then the fourth paragraph is a paragraph of uh, obedience and fulfillment. Where Abraham fulfills and obeys uh, God's command. Um, one other thing that I want to note in tie, tying this text before I read it and ask you to rise uh, to what came before. If you look in your Bibles on page 11, we see that the final verse of chapter 16 says, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. He was 75 when he came from Ur to Canaan via Haran. So uh, 11 years had passed. And then we read in verse 17, 1, when Abram was 99 years old, 13 years had passed. And at the very center of our text, uh, we read Abram crying out to God, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? The age and the trial and the 25 years of waiting of Sarah... And Abram, to be Abraham, are at the very center of our text today. And so I wanted to uh, give that, that marker of time precedence in your hearts as you listen to these words. Uh, please rise. We're going to read uh, the whole chapter, Genesis 17. It's a bit long, but it is uh, mighty important and invaluable for our lives When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And Abram fell down on his face and God said to him, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. For an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of repetition in this text, but the repetition has a point. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you, and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner, who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised, 
so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. I will make him fruitful, multiply him greatly. He shall be a father of twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking to him, God went up from Abram. Then Abram took Ishmael his son, and all those born in this house who bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that day, as God had said to him. Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in his house, those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Join me now in our prayer for illumination found in our worship bulletin. Our Father... We have heard wonderful things out of thy word. We praise you for revealing Christ by promise and shadow in these pages. Help us to understand these words for thy name's sake. Amen. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes to us from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. You can find it on page 984 if you're using your pew Bibles. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Please join me in the prayer for illumination printed in your bulletin. Our Father, we have heard wonderful things out of thy word. 
We praise you for revealing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and ask you to give us your spirit so that we may understand the fullness of your truth. Amen. Please be seated. We've been looking at this series, looking at Abraham as the father of all believers, the story of his faith. And we see that faith gradually progressing from chapter 12 up through chapter 22 and then chapter 25 uh, where he will die. But we see that this faith history is a history of a series of covenants. God makes covenants with Abraham. Uh, The time between Abram's call uh, from Ur, he's 75 years old, to the birth of Ishmael, he's 86. And then here he's 99. And four chapters later, uh, this text zooms in. So we get four chapters now. The anticipation builds, right? Next year I'll come back. The baby will be born. But it's not till chapter 21 that we see that happen. God's scripture, God's text is redemptive history. It is covenant history. It's a history of God's promises to us. And you'll see that we're looking today at circumcision. At the covenant sign of circumcision. And if you want to take notes, we do have an outline in the bulletin. Uh, We see that under this rubric of the covenant sign of circumcision, the first three paragraphs of our text fit. As for me, verse 4 through 8. As for you, verse 9 through 14. As for Sarah, verse 15 through 21. And then the first paragraph, or the fourth paragraph rather, is uh, Abraham's sacramental obedience. He immediately does what the Lord commands. And finally, we need in our third and final point to understand what Paul teaches in the New Covenant, Colossians 2 and elsewhere, that circumcision is a sign and a seal of the gospel. A sign and a seal of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now this isn't a Reformation uh, Day service. You might have figured that out. We're just continuing along with Genesis. Uh, But uh, the Protestant Reformation, and in fact, the Reformed tradition, is uniquely equipped to speak to this text. Because circumcision played uh, a huge role in understanding why it is that we baptize babies in the Reformed Church. (laughs) And so, we will see that come into focus this morning. My goal is that we might see the good news in circumcision. The gospel. Um, It's good news for Abraham. It's good news for Sarah. And it's good news for us. What is the gospel? Every member of our church should be able uh, to give a good short definition of the gospel. Uh, One definition, there are many, is that we are justified. We are made righteous and given new life by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. And we saw two weeks ago in Genesis 15... That Abraham was justified by faith alone. He was declared righteous, not for anything he did, but for trusting in God. We read there, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And here in chapter 17, that righteousness, that promise, is confirmed to Abraham. Some, maybe 25 years later, it's signified and sealed to him in a sign, in circumcision. Paul writes later in chapter 4, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So he's justified, and then 25 years later, he receives this sign. So make no mistake, brothers and sisters. 
Circumcision is a sign and a seal of the righteousness that comes by faith. It is a sign of the gospel. It is a seal of the same covenant. This isn't a different covenant than what was promised, what was uh, ratified or initiated. We, we read in Genesis 15 that God cut a covenant. The covenant was ratified there and it's sealed and confirmed here. That covenant was a one-sided covenant. You remember the ceremony. It cut the animals in half and Abraham's dead asleep. He does nothing. Passing through the animals is the one who promises to act in the covenant. Who binds himself to perform. And God says, I will, I will, I will. And Abraham sleeps. In Genesis 17, 25 years later, God is confirming that same covenant with the sign. Uh, Circumcision here is called the sign of the covenant. Well, what's a covenant sign? Covenants were common in the ancient world. And in fact, archaeologists have discovered them. Uh, And when I say they've discovered a covenant, it's like an idea. What what does that mean? They discover these big rocks. (laughs) And on them is is written the terms of the covenant. I, king so-and-so, will protect you so-and-so as long as you pay tribute. And if you don't pay tribute, I'll come and punish you. Actually, the gods will punish you. And those covenants... Signs stood as testimony to what the two parties had to do. Mount Sinai, the two tablets, are covenant signs. There were often two copies. It's not that half's on one. There's a picture of the Ten Commandments behind this thing here. Four on one side, six on the other. It's not that they couldn't fit it on one rock. God has a good finger. He can write small. All ten words were on both rocks. It was duplicate. It's like when you sign a contract and there are two copies. Because one stayed in one person's temple and the other stayed in the other person's temple. Because the gods would bring the curses of those covenants down. Moses knows this. He's writing for people that have those covenants in their midst. And he says, God made a covenant with Abraham. And he made a sign, but it wasn't written on stone. It was written on his flesh. Circumcision is a covenant sign written on its flesh. It's not... Abraham's side of the covenant. It's not that we're now discovering the part that Abraham does. It's a testimony to that same one-sided covenant. It's a reminder to Abraham that God is going to do what he said he would do. Now, there's undoubtedly covenant obligations here. Even one-sided covenant require the party that's being blessed uh, to keep the covenant. What do I mean by this? Abraham was called to a new life. He's called by God to walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you. God's saying, I want to bless you. Think of it this way. I want to preach comfort to you, but you have to show up in church to hear the comfort. (laughs) That's what God covenants to you today. And so God is telling Abraham, get in the right spot to receive my covenant blessings. So there is mutuality. But the two sides are radically different. God is the one who's going to bless Abraham. God can only give the land of promise to Abraham if he goes there and starts living there. God can only give Abraham children through Sarah. And this is the key part today. When he stops sharing her with foreign kings. (laughs) You wonder why it's a problem when he goes to Egypt and he shares Sarah with the harem of the Pharaoh. After this, he's going to do it again with Abimelech. Among the Philistines. What is the guy thinking? Let me put this in simplest G-rated terms. 
The focus on this chapter is Isaac, the promised covenant child that God grants to a hundred-year-old man and a ninety-year-old woman. He's a miracle child. His birth is supernatural. Second only in scripture in human history to the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which was a virgin birth. But God didn't promise Abraham a virgin birth. In this instance, that child can only be born if Abraham has marital relations with his wife. That's the level of covenant obedience required for God to bless Abraham with a child. Use the institution of marriage and the wife that I've given you. He has to walk before him and be blameless. In other words, faith is required. Brothers and sisters, you can only be forgiven your sins. This is gospel truth. You don't earn it, but you can only be forgiven your sins if you confess your sins. If you turn in faith to the God who forgives sins. And and the structure of this passage supports that. This is why I draw attention to these three paragraphs. As for me, God's saying his part. As for you, he's saying Abraham's part. As for Sarah. So let's go through this structure as rapidly as possible. Though it's chock full of gospel goodness. As for me, verses 4 through 8. The Hebrew starts with an emphatic I, which sadly the ESV does not translate. As for me. God in this opening paragraph is spelling out his part of the bargain. And he's introduced to us here as El Shaddai, God Almighty. Those of you old enough remember the Amy Grant song, which I sang over breakfast this morning to my wife. And she said, you got that song stuck in my head. It's a good song. God Almighty. Think of that. That's important. In Exodus, God will tell Moses, I revealed myself to the fathers as God Almighty. Now I reveal myself as Jehovah. This is a special name. God's saying, I'm going to do it all. The focus here has shifted. Now the land has been settled. The land part of the promise has been settled. The focus shifts to children. In chapter 12, God promised to make Abram a great nation. He said he would have many children. He said that these children would be as innumerable as the stars in chapter 15, as innumerable as the dust in chapter 13. But now he says something new. And so this is where God is saying, I'm going to do something more than you think. You're going to be a father of multitude of nations. And maybe you get confused why Abram's name changes to Abraham. But this is the reason. He ties it explicitly. No longer shall your name be called Abram, But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. This is a common thing in covenants to receive a new name. We do it today when we christen a baby. The christening used to be the naming of the child. That's when they enter the covenant. It's when they receive their Christian name. And Abraham is here receiving his his Yahweh name. Note one key reason for this change. And I actually totally missed this. I have to uh, credit a biblical commentator, um, not myself, namely my daughter, Claire, for why this naming is important here. Abraham already has a son. He's 13 years old. God promised to Hagar, do you remember, that Ishmael would be a great nation. So Abraham's saying, I, I'm done. I have my great nation. He's 13 years old. God already promised. You don't think that Hagar told Abram? (laughs) Probably Sarah too. My son's going to be a great nation. The angel of the Lord told me. For 14 years now, Abram has been blessed by Hagar, his younger second wife. By the way, that's not approved in this text. But it's true. 
He has put his hopes for nationhood in Ishmael. He has trusted in the flesh. He has trusted in his wife's scheming, in the strength of her youth, Hagar's youth. This is why Paul in Galatians calls Hagar an illustration, an allegory of the covenant of works. If you have the strength, if you have the smarts, and if you apply yourself, if you really try hard in the Christian life, you can be happy. That's the covenant of works. You can be saved if you do your job, if you do your part. Paul says this is the bondage of slavery. For any blessing you get is the fruit of your own labor. And brothers and sisters, we're broken, sinful human beings. It's not how the gospel works. We can't save ourselves. Now Ishmael is a covenant blessing that Abraham and Sarah cooked up for them for themselves, that they conceived in their own natural strength and abilities. That's the law. That's not the gospel. Now God clarifies. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have one nation. You cooked him up yourself, but that's not the one I said I was going to give you. And that's not how the blessing's going to come. Yeah, he'll be a great blessing, and that will be reaffirmed later. And he only does that because of Abraham. He only does that as a favor to Abraham. But the child of the flesh will not be the source of the promised blessing. The child of the flesh will not receive an eternal covenant. The child of the flesh will not receive the promise that he will have children of the promise as well. An everlasting covenant for the offspring after you. The original promise still stands 25 years later. And the real fulfillment of this promise of the name of Abraham, Paul tells us in the new covenant, is not just that Abram's going to have two nations, Hagar and the, uh, uh, Ishmael and all the Ishmaelites, and then Isaac and that nation there. What does Paul say in the new covenant? Where do the many nations really come in to this covenant promise? Romans chapter 4, this is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Abraham is Abraham because he receives here the gospel for the Gentiles. It's a gospel not based on blood, not based on obedience or the law, but based on grace alone, by faith alone. This is the real spiritual fulfillment of this name of Abraham. You and I. Abraham's our father. So, God says, no, I'm not going to bless you through Ishmael. Not through your own law keeping, not through your own wisdom or power. I'm going to bless you supernaturally by your wife. And furthermore, that's a part of as for me. Furthermore, he tells him something else. This is for your offspring after you. He repeats it six times. It's a very repetitive text. I pointed that out. An everlasting covenant. This is not a temporary thing. You're not going to have the land for a while. You're not going to have many people for a while. This is forever. And so it's a covenant that has a generational impact. Not only will Abraham have a lot of children. In other words, it's not just a problem to promise to Abram. But his children will have children. And God will be their God. God is promising faith. He's promising the sanctification of future generations. And this brings us to the covenant sign of circumcision. So, as for you, verse 9 through 14. This is the good news of circumcision, brothers and sisters. It is a covenant sign not only recorded physically in Abram's flesh, but also recorded in the flesh of his children. For they share in the promise from eight days after their birth. 
This is part of what was promised. Not only offspring, but believing offspring who would have God as their God. And this reflects the deep, profound truth that the covenant by which we are saved, the covenant that seals righteousness of faith to us, is a covenant for our children. This is another reason for the firm form circumcision takes, namely a cutting of the foreskin. It is a painful, sacrificial cut that draws blood from the organ of generation. It is a reminder of the very place from which these offspring arise, that they will be heirs of the covenant promise. What's its symbolism? Circumcision was, in fact, practiced by a lot of ancient cultures. It's not unique to Christianity, but it's tied here with the promise, and it's tied uniquely among the Hebrews to eight-day-old babies. Why this strange sign? You recall this covenant was made, as I said, in Genesis 15, with the sacrificial ceremony where animals were cut in half. You recall that the blood shed in the covenant ratification ceremony was a threat. If you don't do, if you don't perform the obligations of the covenant, may you become as the animals. That's what Jeremiah says in chapter 34. And God took that threat. God made the oath. It was one-sided. But here we see that Abraham has to receive this promise. He has a part to play. So circumcision highlights the mutuality of this covenant. Even a one-sided covenant of grace must be kept. There must be faith. Abraham has a part to play. Brothers and sisters, we have a part to play in God's glorious gospel. Abraham has to keep the covenant. Well, what's Abraham's part? I've already alluded to it. He has to have marital relations with his wife. God couldn't bless Abraham and Sarah with a child if Abraham and Sarah didn't have marital relations. Now, he would bless Mary and Joseph in that way, but that's not the promise here. It was a miracle, but it wasn't a virgin birth. Now, I'm speculating a bit, but I think this is the direction this text pushes us in. Abraham is clearly hoping that God's promises will be fulfilled through Ishmael. He's happy. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90, bear a child? Come on, let's be reasonable, God. I'm happy with this situation. I suspect, I'm just playing off a hunch here, that a 100-year-old Abraham and a 90-year-old Sarah maybe had let the ways of their marital youth pass by the wayside. So God wants to mark this promise in Abraham's flesh at precisely the point where it requires his faith and trust. And at precisely the point where he seeks to bless him, the offspring that Abraham bears will bear the same mark. It is fitting and appropriate that it is this organ of generation that is cut, that the foreskin of the flesh. But this covenant institution also refers back to that original ceremony. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. There is a threat, brothers and sisters, here. Circumcision and the sprinkling of blood is a threat that you can be cut. As as my title puts it succinctly, be cut or be cut off. And when circumcision is described in that way, you will be cut off. The author of our text is making a specific play on words. This promise is for believers. Not everyone will be blessed in the same way. And we see that again and again in Genesis, right? Jacob and Esau. 
Cain and Abel, as brothers in the same household, split. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. There is a sacrificial component as well, as there always is in the shedding of blood. Abram was not to trust in his own power. He was not to trust in Hagar and Ishmael. He was ceremonially to put that trust in himself, that self-confidence. He was to put it to death. He was to mortify his flesh. And in sacrificing his own ability, his own power, he was to trust El Shaddai, God Almighty. So there's both a blessing and a curse in this covenant, right? There's also both a blessing and a curse in baptism. Paul compares it to the waters of the Red Sea that swallowed up Pharaoh and his armies, but it was a safe passage for those who believed in Yahweh. The sign doesn't save. It points to the need for faith. That's the case as well as we see the shed blood, the broken body of our Lord in the supper. It's for believers. So the good news of circumcision, let me sum it up. God will bless by faith alone, not works. It's supernatural blessings. I'm going to give a baby where you can't, in any human sense, expect to see a baby. Second, God will bless not only Abraham, but his children also with faith. And third and finally, God will fulfill his promise to Sarah. And this brings us to our third point. As for Sarah. This is a very man-centered sign, right? The males only receive uh, this sign of circumcision. You might say, like a horrible Old Testament religion. It just ignored women. Well, no, in the very giving of the sign of circumcision, God is saying, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Sarah as well receives a new name. Sarah as well is an heir of a covenant. Sarah as well will be blessed. Abram, you can't leave your wife behind. Here we see the household principle so clearly articulated in circumstances. It's not just his own bloodline. It's anyone who lives in the house. Most importantly, his spouse. When did God promise Sarah anything? Why did her faith matter? Well, we know that Abram and Sarah were already married in Ur before they were called by the Lord. They'd already had a long childless marriage with all the attendant heartache. She's introduced to us as a barren woman. Per Genesis 2.24, the fact that we are one flesh in marriage, she too had been promised a land. She too had been promised many offspring. You don't think she had asked Abraham for 25 years, where are our children? Where is your God? El Shaddai. Right. Last week we saw that Sarah had blamed the Lord for his failure to deliver on his promises. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Take Hagar. She spits at Abram. She had lost faith. Far from being blameless, she's full of blame. And so God in his mercy 25 years later. Married couples, this is a temptation. Husbands, don't abandon your wives. Wives, don't abandon your husbands. 25 years after entering the land, God is coming both to Abraham and Sarah. He didn't show up every day. This wasn't a normal appearance. It's been 25 years, people. And what's he going to do? He's going to preach a sermon and he's going to give them a sacrament. Word and sacrament. To renew and confirm their faith. 
Where does faith come from? The Heidelberg Catechism asks, question 65. If you're going to memorize two or three, memorize this one. The Holy Spirit works it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments. If you're saved by faith alone, you better know where faith comes from. God comes to Abraham and Sarah at this critical hour. They had wandered. Their faith was flagging. And the Holy Spirit works faith into Abraham and Sarah by the preaching of the word. And he confirms that faith with a sacrament. God reiterates his promise for Sarah. And Abram laughs. He, Isaacs. That's the first time we come across this name in scripture. Now Paul says in Romans 4 that Abram didn't weaken in his faith. That there was no belief ever. It never wavered. But Abram reveals. He thinks to himself. This is in his own head. He meditates in himself. And I can't, I can't get around it. Some commentators disagree here. Is Abraham laughing for joy? Oh wow, God's going to give a hundred year old a child. Or is Abraham, like Sarah in the next chapter, faithless, mocking God? I think he's faithless. I can reconcile this with Paul, but that's another sermon. This was too good to be true. Abraham wanted the faith of possession. He wanted the theology of glory. Have a son. I can see my son. Don't make me hope for what I don't have. Don't make me believe in what I can't see. The assurance of things hoped for, the promise of things unseen, is what faith is. But the preached word says to Abraham, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And here's the the kicker. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. For his offspring after him as well. Not only Abram's offspring after him, but Isaac's offspring after him. And so on, and so on, and so on. I will establish my covenant with Isaac. He's not born yet. And God's saying he's going to be a believer. What a precious promise. God will not leave Sarah behind. God will not let Abram leave Sarah behind. So circumcision is the gospel. It's good news for Sarah. As well as for Abraham. The second main point here, and this is quite brief, is sacramental obedience. This is the fruit of Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith is renewed by this word, by this uh, sign, and he obeys. The text emphasizes that very day. This is not a work that Abraham does. He's not holding up his side of the bargain. It's a reminder that he would dwell with. God is signifying in circumcision many children, many nations... Given the daily necessities of human life, Abraham would be confronted multiple times a day with the reality of God's promise. It's in his flesh. Notice the swiftness of the obedience. That very day. Brothers and sisters, for God to bless you by faith today, you must likewise believe and trust. You must put yourself in the place where God would feed you. You don't earn salvation by coming to church. It's not that good people go to church, come to church and go to heaven. But here you do confess your faith. You recite the promises. You remember them. You renew them. And they're signified and sealed to you in baptism, in the supper. And this worship forms and shapes you for covenant faithfulness, for a life. It prepares you for glory. For the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It is the place where God gives his blessing. And that brings us to a third and final point. The New Testament fulfillment of circumcision. 
That we are baptized into the circumcision of Christ. And we see this in numerous places, but most clearly in Colossians chapter 2. Brothers and sisters, what circumcision symbolized, the cutting off and the putting to death of the old man, of sin and death, has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. In Christ also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Don't make the mistake of thinking here that what really matters is the spiritual circumcision of the heart and not the bodily circumcision of the flesh. That's not what the Bible's saying. The circumcision of the Old Testament is not fulfilled in a spiritual circumcision of the heart. It's fulfilled when Jesus Christ dies on the cross with a real body and real flesh and real blood. That's His circumcision. What's spiritual and what's the blessing of the new covenant is it's ours by faith alone. That boys and girls are baptized into that circumcision. And Paul here is spelling out the ultimate significance. Abraham was called to give up his own fleshly efforts at creating an heir. To put to death his hopes for Ishmael. Is to put off the body of flesh. Paul continues here. Making it clear that the circumcision of Christ is the cross. You were dead in your trespasses. In the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. There was a law, like a a, a writ of arrest, out for us that condemned us. And Christ tears it up. He nails it to the cross in his body. He bears the curse, emptying of it as power over us. I'll never forget the day, seven or eight years ago, when my dad made his final mortgage payment on the house. Have you ever been at a mortgage burning party? Right? You pay your monthly payments for years after years after years, and then you're done. And you can tear up that paper. You don't have to make a payment anymore. This is a mortgage burning party. The covenant has been fulfilled. Christ has paid it all. He went to the gallows for you. You see, the cutting of circumcision was meant to show Abraham that he was powerless to save himself. It was a token and a symbol, a sign of the only circumcision that could save anyone, the circumcision of Christ. And now that Christ has bled in our place, no baby boy will ever need to bleed again. Now that Christ has bled in our place, our daughters too receive in their baptism the sign and the seal of the righteousness by faith. This is very good news. Now that Christ has been circumcised in His death, we may be baptized, we share in His death, buried with Him, that we may be raised again. In chapter 3, a few verses later, Paul says, You have been raised with Christ, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What a blessed, blessed message that is. I hope you see now, I haven't made a big point of infant baptism in this sermon, but I hope it's rather obvious why we baptize our infant children. Why Peter could say on Pentecost, the promises for you and for your children, because it's the same righteousness by faith that is signified and sealed in baptism as was signified and sealed in circumcision. It's always been a generational promise from when God told the serpent that Eve would have a child. A holy, strong, mighty child who would crush that serpent's head. It has always been so with God's promise that it is not just for us alone. 
Not for individuals, but for families and for children. Not all of them will believe. That's another sermon. But when faith is joined to this sign, when it looks to this sign, to this promise, it is undoubtedly the case that God Almighty will fulfill His promises. Let's pray. Merciful God, we thank You for being kind to us this day. We thank You for our children and for their voices, for their footsteps. We thank You that they are full of life, not only physical life, but Your spiritual life. We thank You that John the Baptist leapt in the womb when he met his Savior in Mary's womb. We thank You, dear Lord, for Your kindness to Abraham and to Sarah. We thank You that You give husbands, wives, and they are one flesh, and that you walk with us through the difficult way of marriage. We thank you for the blessing of children, but the blessings of the gospel. And for this covenant sign, which we celebrate today, one of feasting, bread and wine, that is made possible through the death of our Savior, his broken body and his poured forth blood, to be enjoyed and celebrated at the wedding supper of the Lamb, From now until the end of all time, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.